amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Six point five percent was it? Is is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well, and you, if you look at the round by round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite is uh-huh. the Vancouver Canucks. Like what a time to be alive! I- Talking you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust. This is the C Four Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam. Welcome to another episode of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast. I am Chris at Lightforce, joined virtually, not by my regular co-hosts, Anna Forsyth at A4Syth03, Matt Lee at Matt Lee underscore 61, and Adam Ovenel Carter at Adam FCC. No, I gave the three of them a night off. I am instead joined by two of the most famous Canadians oh God. that I know. <laughs> that you know. Okay. That I know. I'm glad you clarified that. Uh, I'm joined by the hosts of the Dark, to- Dark Poutine podcast, uh, which you've heard me talk about on Off the Rails. Uh, Mike Brown, Scott Hemingway. Uh, I could also consider them my friends, although I don't know if I can say that because... Let's not get carried away. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to like elevate myself in the grand yeah, scheme. You go, of, you go you know. right ahead and elevate. I need all the friends I can get. Yeah, no, you're you're a good friend, bud. So, but uh, for those wondering how we got connected, well, we used to work for this local family outfit, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, you know, we've sort of all sort of gone different ways since then. But uh, we all yeah, have... I guess like uh, it's kind of like an, we're kind of like war buddies, like nom buddies, like it's like we've been to nom. Well. <laughs> Canucks pay-per-view nights, let me tell you. Oh, my God. Oh, if we can talk, holy shit. Oh, man. Or, or the UFC, yeah. I or had to, well, you know, UFCs never went down, though. Those were always smooth. But I was, like, the, the champion, like, a couple of nights or for a year. Like, I was the night guy, so I had to be responsible for those Canuck pay-per-views. And, oh, mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I think, you know, on this podcast, I believe it, there have been a few times where I've referred to Canucks pay-per-view in not the best light. And not not that the games themselves were problematic, but having worked for this local family company, let me tell you, there were some very upset people that used to, you know, come through the storefront to let the staff know all about the uh, previous Why do I see a black screen? Why is there a oh, black have- screen on channel 301? I, I specifically remember a game. I don't remember the game, but a game, uh, third period, and it was like a tied game. Like it was a good game, and yeah. like the third period's two minutes in, and I'm so I'm the one who's responsible for tech support to manage the pay per view, like manage the messaging and stuff. And mm-hmm. so I'm just sitting there, I'm watching it because I'm like the whole time you're like, oh please don't go out, oh please don't go out. Third period, two minutes in, tie game, heated game pay-per-view goes black and it takes a second for you to see the call volume just max out and you just all of the reps on the floor literally stand up and turn to me and like what do we do and so i'm calling like uh i don't even remember what it was called but i was calling down to the technical like what's going on, what's happening and trying to find out what's happening. And and then it just, it stayed, it stayed out. And I've got all the reps asking me, what am I going to, what do I tell them? Why everybody's mad. And I had to be like, you know what? Like you have to think in that moment. And I'm like, okay, you know what? One third of the pay-per-view has gone or uh, sorry. uh, Yeah. One third of the pay-per-view is gone. So tell people you'll give them a one third credit, but, and I put that in the, but if anybody, if you think the right thing to do is to credit the whole thing, I empower you. I guess everybody forgot that second part, and we're just telling customers. I'll give you one third, and then I remember listening to uh, talk radio the next morning, mm. and it was a topic on talk. And then they offer one. How, how ridiculous is that? And I'm thinking I'm going to come in and get my ass chewed off. But uh, <laughs> I came in, and, and my boss at the time was like, "Thank you for making a decision and trying. Like, we shouldn't have left you alone." To, but. Uh, it's like you PTSD with that shit. Yeah, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think the game you were talking about was against the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I would have been in loyalty at the time, which always uh-huh. meant the following day. Uh-huh. Oh my god! <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I don't. I honestly don't know what was worse in loyalty: uh, the day after a Canucks pay per view, or Novus flyering the downtown uh, oh, yeah. area. Yeah. Yeah, either one of them just was not fun for, for me, but no, no, we're not here to t- talk about the local family outfit. The three of us used to work for, no. um, I thought, uh, I'd get, uh, the, the three of us together to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. Cause if there's one thing that our, our listeners know is that, uh, generationally, I remember an era of the Vancouver Canucks that the other co-hosts, well, let's just say weren't around for. And, uh, I thought it would be nice to, to get a, a couple knowledgeable people, and again, the, the most famous Canadians that I know, to, to join me as we, we venture down uh, memory lane. Now, we're not going to spend all our time reminiscing. We're just going to spend most of it. We'll touch on a little bit of what uh, went on over the course of the past year, as, uh, as I'm an avid listener of your podcast, and I know uh, there was an episode where you were actually talking about being interested again, and that may be related uh-huh. to the fact there wasn't much else on TV at the time, but I think, you know... 
it's worth a, a conversation. And yeah. uh, I do want to get in um, a little bit into to your podcast. Uh, so uh, we'll do that too. Uh, that's all uh, coming up on the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast. It's heard on CanucksHockeyBlog.com and the Full Press Coverage Network. Before we hit the record button... I'd sort of, you know, we would run through like, hey, what are we, what are we going to talk about here? And, uh, and uh, Scott, you said 1994. Mm-hmm. And not going to lie, I have memories of 94. I will always have memories of 94. I can tell you like how my entire day went. Yes. <laughs> against Game yeah. 7, New York Rangers. Like, right from the moment I woke up into the morning until I actually put my head on the pillow at night. And the number of minutes I spent cursing the name Nathan Lafayette. Like that's hit the post game three, third period, hit the post. Mm-hmm. I think it was the third period, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm exactly the same. It, it, that whole run, I can almost remember every game, what I was doing, who I was with. Uh like it was just like it was incredibly magical. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really just it really it it was a big time moment in my life. It, yeah, that, I, maybe that says a lot more about my life than it does about hockey. But well, you know, I'm I, a question I I actually have for for Mike is knowing that you originally were on the East Coast and you've now come to the West Coast. Were you here by then? Like I, I that part I'm not sure timeline wise. Like were you? Absolutely ex- was I was actually a Canucks fan since I was a kid. Oh, really? So, okay. I have to ask, how'd that happen? So growing up in Nova Scotia, um, my uncle lived here in Vancouver and my mom and dad brought my sister and I out here when I was six years old for a veterinary conference because my dad was a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. Uh, My uncle Don was a little bit into hockey, but because the Vancouver Canucks were the only place that I had ever been where there was an actual NHL team. I didn't see a game because I was here during the summer. I just had this affinity for the Canucks from that point on. So I used to watch Canucks games on uh, a little CRT TV, black and white with a bent antenna uh, late into the night because of the four hour time difference. So Mm. I was watching games until like 1130 midnight, uh, you know, uh, even later than that back in Nova Scotia because I was a Canucks fan. I was cheering for the Canucks. So uh, yes, I have been a fan for almost all my life. See, okay. I, I, I will admit, I kind of find that surprising. Most people I know that uh, I would say come from away, although come from away is when you arrive on the rock and from somewhere yeah. else, but from the East coast uh, tend to either be a Maple Leafs fan or a Montreal Canadiens fan. Not true. Not, not true. true. Okay. Cause I, no, I, I, I know no. a very small sample. Nova Scotia is also full of a lot of, and I hate to say this, Boston Bruins fans. Oh, yeah. I knew when I went to Halifax, I, I could smell it in the air when I was there and I just didn't <laughs> yeah. know it. Yeah. And we don't apologize for it. I mean, you know, Brad Marchand's from, from Nova Scotia. So. Sure. Well, yeah. and I guess, you know, if we think geographical distance, yep. I mean, the Eastern seaboard is a lot closer than what we yeah. would know as the uh, Ontario Panhandle or... And I, I went to high school with Glenn Murray, who played on oh. the Bruins. So, yeah. Interesting. Yep. Well, you know, thinking, you know, as sort of these long, long time Canucks fans, like I, I, 94 was the first time that I can recall having any form of optimism about the organization. And the funny thing is, is they weren't really that good of a team going into the playoffs in 94. Oh, yeah. Right. They were, they were a better team in the sort of early 90s. Like, 
when Trevor Linden arrived late eighties, that's when we started to see that, that team develop. Um, mm. but for one reason or another, be it the, the trade that uh, Pat Quinn made to, to bring in the likes of Cliff Ronning and Jeff Cortnall and, um, uh, Jeff Brown and what have you to, to that roster or, or just the fact that they were able to beat a significantly favored Calgary Flames team in the first round right, and yeah. suddenly, you know, oh, we yeah. can, we can beat anyone. Right. Well, and I think if I remember correctly, too, it literally came down to the final game of the season to determine if we made it into the playoffs or not. And so, like, it was really yeah, the, the team success through the regular season was not steady or stable. Oh, no. uh, but I, I think a large part is what you talked about. I think it was knocking out the number one of uh, flames in the first round and in such a dramatic way you know constant double overtimes constant back and forth that kurt mclean the save oh, oh my the double, god double pad stack yeah oh my god the toe off his toe like like i think getting through a playoff series like that when you're not supposed to be there period. I think that really connected and bonded the team. I think they really were able to be like, well, Hey, we just beat the number one team mm-hmm. and we did it. And it, it, we didn't luck into it. We had to fight tooth and nail. And we did, I think that really helped kind of, uh, yeah, develop a really tight bond between them all. And it rallied the fans too. I think. I think that uh, you know we we just expected them to go out. You oh, know, yeah. they'll they'll okay. They made it, hooray! Uh, but yeah, they'll just go out. And then when they didn't, it's like, oh wait a minute, oh there's yep. this there's this little spark of hope, and it's like, mm-hmm. me, this is the year finally. Yeah, uh, I can still almost name everybody from that team. You know, oddly, I don't even know if I if I can tell this story, but like I I had a conversation. Uh, a year or two ago with with one of the 94 Canuck players mm-hmm. and um, it, it was fascinating because he was also um, let's say on the coaching side of things in 2011 okay and um, I remember asking him um, what to him was more uh, what are his memories more in, in favorable of? Like, do, when he thinks back to the '94 uh, run as a player, or thinking to the uh, 2011 as a coach, uh, he said that he all only thinks positively about '94. Um, he is very frustrated with the 2011, and he made it very clear as to why. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he he had said that. Um, a decision was made in game seven. And I think we all, there was a key decision that was made in, in regards to who's going to go in net. And the, a decision was made that was not the decision everybody else wanted. Hmm. And so he very much felt that if the decision that everybody wanted would have been made, they would have won the cup. And so he was pretty frustrated with, um, um, he was pretty frustrated with that. That one was our cup. We were supposed to win that one and we could have won that yeah. one. Whereas the other one was just, we weren't supposed to do anything. So anything that we did accomplish was just 
you know, icing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, comparing like 94, that blue collar team, even their white collar players like Pebble Bure, he was a nasty piece of business when he wanted <laughs> yeah, to be like, yeah. he played a, yeah. a blue collar style of game when need be granted. He didn't generally come past the, the red line onto the defensive side of the, the ice, but mm-hmm. I distinctly remember after the Vancouver Canucks lost to New York in game seven, which again, they were in it right to the end. Yeah. Do I go to the parade? Like, cause they, they had a parade. They had a, a sort of a thank you to the Canucks, a thank you to the fans that, that wound up at BC place. And I'm like, do I skip school to go to the parade? I think I should. Yeah. I didn't, but I, I thought I, about I it. Yeah. yeah. And you look at 2011. Yeah. There was no parade like 2011, the Vancouver Canucks in 2011. Yeah, you're right. They were destined to win the cup. In fact, the, the way it was trending, everyone had them pegging yep. the, the cup for straight against the Boston Bruins yep. and they, Hey, won the first two games. So the prophecy yep. is true. And then suddenly if the Vancouver Canucks were to lose a game, it was a combination of we can't score a goal and our goaltender can't stop them. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. And then we put in the backup and rallied, tied up the series, I believe. And then, and I, I can completely understand the goaltending decision. I think it's always easy on the outside to criticize, but you've got your backup in. Um, and you've got your number one. So if you go with your backup, which you're more confident in, you think, well, this will give us a better shot potentially. Um, and, and you win with your backup. You've just lost your number one goalie. There's no yeah. way that goalie comes back the next season. This is the person you have the entire team rallying around. Everybody's in love with. And so not playing that goalie, you've essentially said, we're done with you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, as a coach, I can understand if you, and he, it's not like putting him back. It's not like he was a terrible goalie. He was still amazing. He just had a bad couple of games. And so I can understand that feeling of, well, this is our number one guy. I have to go with him. But on the flip side, I can also understand why everybody else might have felt we should have gone. It, what's most important is winning the cup. Mm-hmm. That's the priority is winning the cup. And we need to go with who's going to give us the best chance. It's it's not an easy decision. So I can't uh, say one was right or one was wrong. Would have liked that cup. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. And the worst part about it is how the Vancouver Canucks have a history of getting to the Stanley Cup final and then proceeding to hit maybe not rock bottom, but try to get as close as possible. Like I... I look at 95 and how they brought in Alex McGillney and then eventually yep, yep. Messier comes on and you go, Oh my God, this Vancouver Canucks team is going to be so good. And yeah, those were some dark years. Um, oh, they really were like, I, I just, era. No, that was, I yeah. thought, what the hell is Messier doing here? You know, it's like, isn't he part of that scar that we're trying to overcome? You know, it's like, Oh, let's just rub some Messier salt into the 94 wound. Well, okay. And, this, I mean, the, the backstory on the Messier acquisition was the Vancouver Canucks had made a heavy play to get Wayne Gretzky, and they were close. Uh, and the story goes, Pat Quinn went and took the screws uh, to Gretzky and his agent saying, hey, we actually, we think we can get you for this. And um, Wayne's like, yeah, sorry, that's not going to happen. 
Um, Having missed out on a superstar in Wayne Gretzky, uh, John McCaw, the eventual owner of the Vancouver Canucks, having now bought out the the Griffiths family, uh, he felt that it would be important to make a splash. And, you know, if you can't get Wayne Gretzky, get Mark, because he was totally the same player that not only, you know, helped the Edmonton Oilers win in the early 80s, but also helped to win a cup in New York. Oh, wait. The Rangers played the Canucks and won that cup. Oh, I didn't know. I wasn't a hockey fan back then. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> and, I'm not there. Uh, I heard, um, I remember uh, one of my old jobs, I were at Graveyard. And so I was always listening to like talk radio through mm-hmm. the night on my headphones. I remember an interview with Pat Quinn talking about the Gretzky trade. Um, you always have to take with a grain of salt what people are saying on the radio. But to, what he had said publicly, like during this uh radio show was that um he's like we were told it was a lock with Gretzky we had made him an offer they would counter offer we were going back and forth and there was a they had set a date this to this was if we can't get it done by this date it's not happening and yeah. so you know right down to the wire Gretzky and his his manager were like here's this is it you give us this and we're signing with you and so the Canucks went back and Pat Quinn and everybody talked about it and they were like, okay, let's do it. And so they went back to Gretzky, you know, where it's like midnight's like the deadline. They went back to him at yep. like 11 and like, Hey, you know, but he wouldn't answer his phone. He didn't answer the phone. They kept calling. They called his manager, calling everybody. Nobody's answering the phone. Gets past midnight. They keep calling. Like they're calling all through the night. And the, he, I think he said at like, you know, 1230 or two in the morning. I'm not too sure exactly the time Gretzky finally answered. And he was just like, you're going to, you're calling and waking me up. Like how <laughs> disrespectful of you guys. Like this isn't the kind of team I want, I want to be with. And there's, we're not doing this deal. And yeah. Quinn said that he, he firmly believed it was all just about leveraging our offer to, I can't remember who he signed with, uh, but it, it was just about leveraging our offer to that get a better St. Louis deal. I think it was, yeah, I believe it was the same. And and so, so so long ago, but Quinn, Quinn, like even in the interview, he, he was just beyond pissed. He was like, I felt absolutely robbed and led. I like we were, he told us if we can offer him this, he's going to sign with us. We called him to offer. He didn't have any intention to, he was just using us as leverage to get a better deal with St. Louis. And he seemed really bitter about it. But the the reasoning Gretzky said, I was so interested. I was going to sign with you guys, but if you're so rude to call me at this time of the night, I can't Mm -hmm. work with this organization. Yeah. And I, you know, the it's interesting because the the story that Gretzky tells is slightly different spin is that the Canucks yeah. tried to come back and I'll bet you obviously the truth is somewhere in the middle the Canucks were oh, probably finally yeah calling him to late meanwhile yeah Gretzky and his agent would have been Michael Barnett I think at the time probably yeah, were using exactly. for leverage and uh what ends up happening he goes elsewhere the Canucks get Messier and the team goes oh, for a good dark, spell those were dark days man Oh man, like, well, I mean, heck, as the story goes, um, uh, can't remember the guy's his name was, I think Stephen Bellringer, I think was what his name was. He was like the, he worked for like BC Hydro or some crazy company, like no sports management experience. He's been put in charge of the sports operation, fires Pat Quinn, 
realizes everything that Pat Quinn does as GM or president or whatever the heck his title was at the time, calls Pat up and says, actually, could you come back and work for us on a contract instead? Because <laughs> we need to figure this out. We don't know what to do. And Pat, you know, quite rightly told him to go and stick his head probably <laughs> somewhere that yeah, one might yeah. have uh, medical problems with. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But, um, you know, sort of looking back at that era, like that era or even before, um, who would have been your favorite player? Like if you had to pick one, and there are obviously a big number of big names, or who who would have been your favorite player at that time? Mike, how about you? You go first. Oh, I was a Bure guy. Mm-hmm. I I really loved to watch that guy play. He was so fast, uh, and uh, I just like that. You know, he's a he's a star, but like you mentioned before, he played with a bit of an edge. Uh, he wasn't afraid to get get dirty if he needed to. He wasn't uh, he wasn't like a you know. Uh, Don Cherry would say about the Europeans, he wasn't somebody who would just run away and let the mm-hmm. Canadians handle things for him. He would, he would get in there. So yeah, he was, he was kind of my guy in that era anyway, but uh, yeah, I've had, you know, as far as Canucks players go, um, I'm still a Naslin fan. Oh, Nazzy. So um, the, I knew Nazzy was leaving Vancouver before <laughs> It was public knowledge. Um, I can't explain why, because I'm not entirely sure if I'm allowed to quite yet. But <laughs> the two of you could probably, you know, connect the dots based on what it was that I did at that family outfit, and in turn, what probably took place uh-huh. before said move. Yeah, just uh-huh. if, you, if if you get what I'm throwing down, I'm mm-hmm. up what you're putting down, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Scott, how about you? Oh, uh, so my favorite to watch was uh, hands down Burry. Loved mm. watch, loved him. But my favorite Canuck of that era was Linden. Just the yeah. he was the epitome of hockey. You, the, a game seven against the Rangers is the perfect example. We lost three to two. He got both goals. Um, you see him; he's limping. He, if I remember correctly, he's got a black eye. He's oh, got yeah. like a huge cut and bleeding. Like he just, he was the epitome of hockey. Nice, respectful guy. Well thought of by everybody. Hard, bloody working player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talented and humble. Like he's just everything you ever want in a hockey player. He really was captain's captain. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go go ahead. Yeah. I I I was just going to say, like, he was even the player's uh, negotiating agent during the strike. Like, he was the one who was uh, for the player's union. He was the the spokesman for the player's union Mm -hmm. during the strike, you know? So, like, he was the players universally loved him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I was going to say, I, I can completely see, you know, what you're saying in, in that he was sort of the, the hockey player's captain. Like, he 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 left everything on the ice um, during the 94 series and the the Jim Robson call of he'll play, you know he'll play, and he'll play to, in game uh-huh. seven for the Stanley Cup. Um, I was going to say the how respectful he was. As I had the, an opportunity to man the phones for um, a Canucks for Kids telethon uh, night, yeah. and... Uh, um, the phones weren't working. Essentially, I was a paid actor. They were like, if the camera's on, make it look like you're answering the phones. We're piping and ringing. 
but it was awkward. So I'm doing all this and I'm making it look good. And then I guess apparently I did such a good job. Um, a few others actually thought, oh, they fixed the phone. So that guy seemed like I was talking like I'm, and I worked in a call center. So I totally knew how to play the call center app, right? So uh, one of the, the women's recording, he's like, hey, would you like to meet, meet Trevor? And I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, I would have been like in my late 20s, 30s at the time. And I'm just like, you know, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like, he's my hero. And uh, he comes up, he's like, you know, uh, hi, I'm Trevor. Like, I wouldn't know who he is. Yeah, I'm, like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Chris, is, you know, such a pleasure hi, to Trevor, meet you. you yeah. And he's like, Oh no, the pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. You don't understand how much this means to the organization and means to me personally. And I'm like, no, Trevor, thank you. And I'm like trying to thank him for memories and all of that. And he's like, Oh, you know, you don't need to thank me. I, I did that because I enjoyed doing it. And you know, yeah. the, the least I can do is to like, you're just so humble. It's a shame that his tenure with the Vancouver Canucks and the current era came to the end that it did. I mean, obviously there was more to that story that we may learn at some point, but I, I we've talked about this on our podcast uh, previously, you know, Trevor Linden has such a reputation in Vancouver um, that he could, you know, put on a Boston Bruins Jersey and hold the Stanley cup above his head doing so. And people would be like, ah, he deserved it. Like that, that's, yeah, it's true. You don't you don't see that a lot in in a lot of sports. Where mm-hmm. often when somebody you can use LeBron as a good example, when he gets traded and comes back, the the original team typically will boo. It was yeah. provided it was like you know the player whose whose decision it was and stuff. They get booed and heckled and all that. Uh, there's the odd player when they come back to their original team as soon as they hit the ice or the court, the audience still erupts in, in excitement and yeah. they, uh, or, or, you know, just to show respect. And, and that was Trevor. The first year Trevor was uh, playing with the Canucks. I was living with a Canucks family, oh. which is interesting. Uh, back in Nova Scotia, when I was going to uh, the Nova Scotia community college, I was taking architectural drafting and design in Middleton, Nova Scotia. And, uh, so I needed a boarding house to stay at and mom and dad found this boarding house and they were these really nice couple and their son played hockey. And I was just like, Oh, who's this, you know, who's this guy? I walk into the house and here's these uh, world juniors trophies and like all this, you know, a big Russian uh, hammer and sickle flag in the house and oh, this weird shrine. And then I see pictures of this goaltender. It was Troy Gamble. So, oh my God. Yeah, so I lived with Troy Gamble's parents yeah. uh, in 88 to 90, actually. So, oh, that is so, yeah, cool. so I got to hear some cool Canucks insider information and, and Pat was uh, Troy's mom. She just loved Trevor. She called him Trevor. She just loved him. She thought he was going to be a big star, you know, yeah. because it was his first year and uh, he certainly was. So yeah, it was kind of cool to, to, ha- to hear things about the Canucks kind of inside as a, as a fan as well. No, I, that kind of makes me think as I'm curious because in Vancouver, and this is the only place I've ever lived, Trevor Linden, you can mention to almost anybody, you know, at a, of a certain age, you know, maybe some, not somebody like my daughters won't know who he is, but uh, to a lot of the population are going to know who he is outside of Vancouver and outside of Canada. I'm going to hazard to guess. I could go to, I can talk to a hockey fan in Buffalo 
hockey fan for a long time and mentioned Trevor Linden. Um, I suspect they probably won't, but who? I don't Well, I, I wonder, so first and foremost, part of it is era. Like, you know, you sort of brought up your, your daughters and if you were to ask them, they might not know that's a generational gap. Obviously it's going to exist. Um, I, I don't know. I think if people were to be asked, if you know, a Vancouver Canuck, like an old Vancouver Canuck, I think Trevor Linden is probably one of the more recognizable, uh, would be him, Kirk McLean, Pavel Bure. And I, you know, the thing about, Beret is, you know, he, yeah, he existed in Vancouver and New York and in Florida, but he really, I mean, he kept to himself. He didn't really want to do anything beyond what he needed to do on the ice. And, and that was it. Um, Kirk McLean, he had his, his moment to shine in Vancouver. That was it. Trevor traveled and he was recognizable. So I, I kind of, I would question that. I think people would. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Like maybe I, know I Trevor. He was, and definitely yeah, I, in medicine I, hat. Oh God, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Definitely outside of Vancouver, Madison Hat for sure. Solid point, Chris. Like I just like I hope he would be like I would love for him to be. I was in my head would be like I'm just thinking like that would be sad if he's not Mm -hmm. really known in the hockey community at large. I got I got a question for you guys. This I know this is kind of off, way off what we're talking about. Who do you guys, each of you? I'll start with Chris. Who was the most frustrating? Canucks hockey player ever to you. The like, most frustrating. Ever. Ever. Mm. So, like, for uh, one of the most frustrating for me would be Roberto Luongo. And that's, I, I liked Roberto Luongo as a Vancouver Canuck. And I think the the last NHL work stoppage is and sort of his transition and release of his personality on social media is what really opened my eyes to him as a player. Prior to that, I would have been hands down have been a Roberto Luongo. Um, I think Alex McGilney hmm. probably would be the player that may have you know frustrated me the most. Um, he came in in the prime of his career. He mailed it in. And I mean, he's also attached to an era that's obviously dark. Mark Messier, but not for anything more than just what he represents <laughs> in Canucks uniform. It's a good what question. About what about you, Scott? Oh, oh boy. So uh, goalies come to mind a lot. Um, I think for me, Felix Potvin was a real oh, the cat, that, yeah. that was one that was really um and it's not a, a none of these names i'm mentioning are a personal thing like i thought they were just idiot like uh potman was just he came at a time as well where he was still quite um a good goaltender and there was a lot of expectation and they didn't really pan out and so that i found him to be a very frustrating person to have on the team because it's one of those where in your mind you're like he's better than this what's mm. happening and that's very frustrating. Um, I loved him, but Cloutier. Yeah, he's mm. mine. I yeah. think I think a lot of that might have to do with the team around him and everything. But um, I, it was another one where you would see these moments of brilliance. Yeah, you know, it could be like a month of brilliance, and you're just like, okay, I get it now. Yeah, we could do big things with this guy. And then you then you'd have some moments or periods of time where. Uh, a shot from the parking lot would uh, get through 
Cloutier, and you all, all of that positive, yes, we can do it with this guy, is suddenly like, oh, oh no. And again, yeah, real love hate thing, and I think that's what yeah. made him so frustrating. Is you mm-hmm. love him one minute, and then you hate him the next. You know, yeah. there yeah. there are some that you just consistently loathe, but yeah. <laughs> but with him. Yeah. It, it was just and like, Chris oh, he should be so hopeful. And then what's yeah. he doing? And then what Chris had mentioned with McGillney, again, because that was, I mean, if I remember correctly, he had like a 75-goal season. with. I remember it, like he like did, he had like an outstanding season or two. But again, there's just that inconsistency. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I... He did have his in his first season with Vancouver Canucks. He 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 was as advertised, but he, he. I've always had an issue with players that whether I, my perception is right or wrong, have made it apparent that they don't want to be here. And he felt like yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly. I get that it. feeling with Louis Erickson right now. Like what? what, what well, that guy. Yeah, the as longtime listeners of our podcast know, um, we currently have Louie riding the bus in Utica next season. So, <laughs> yeah, no, he signed a contract, he got paid, and now he's just you know waiting for retirement to to kick in. Where most yeah. players go, Arizona or Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's I, I I bet you Erickson. That's the modern area equivalent of who frustrates fans the most. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You just watch, you know, there's, there's a big break. There's lots of stuff happening and then it gets passed to him and, and it just, yeah, the, all the energy gets sucked right out of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the guy. Well, speaking of being uh, sucked out of the game, uh, we're going to take ourselves a short break. I know the look in your face that, you know, the audio listeners can't see right now. Nice. Tells all. Uh, I'm uh, joined by Mike and Scott from the Dark Poutine Podcast. You're listening to the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com and the Full Press Coverage Network. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck. Now, Madison never, ever did that before. Now, why did he do it? And that, because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder (laughs) Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Patterson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart Trophy. (laughs) Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty of heat and play. He's going to get a lot of power play time. And, yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200-point players, and we've got to find a way to score. You said sucked. I know. (laughs) I know. 
you should see some of the stuff that I say that come, like it, it makes sense as it's coming out of my mouth, but then others hear it and it's just not getting any better right now. <laughs> uh, this is, this is why people subscribe to this podcast. I am sure of it. Um, but no, I thought uh, we'd uh, kick this segment off uh, by getting to know a little bit about the two of you and the podcast uh, that you host. Oh. Um, you know, I, I, I've called it dark poutine. Which, first and foremost, if there is a more Canadian name for a podcast, maybe say for like Canada Land, who I guess has a podcast or had a podcast. Yeah, that they 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 took the kind of the low road and just put Canada in the title. Yeah, that doesn't. So I, I they're disqualified. So dark <laughs> poutine. I you you could be like a podcast on like you know financial service institutions, and it'd be like oh what a cool name. But no, why don't you why don't you guys tell us a little bit about uh, dark poutine? Um, <laughs> well, I, I want, I was into true crime ever since my grandmother introduced me to Max Haynes articles in, uh, in the Chronicle Herald newspaper back in Nova Scotia. So I was just a true crime guy. I was into like Scott also will tell you, he was into unsolved mysteries and, and, uh, American justice with Bruce Curtis and like all those kind of uh-huh. true crime shows that were very early, early on those kind of things cold case yeah. files yeah i loved i loved all that kind of stuff but it wasn't until i heard obviously serial that i thought oh there's a new way to deliver this thing and maybe mm. one day i can actually do this so i started thinking like how can i eventually do a true crime podcast and i came up with the name <laughs> because i just Somebody always already had Canadian true crime. Like yeah. they had, somebody had Canadian true crime. She's an Australian, but she had Canadian true crime as a name. So I thought, okay, I need to come up with something that really embodies Canada. And, uh, so it's what, what's, what's the most Canadian dish that you can possibly think of other than, you know, a big tall glass of maple syrup, mm-hmm. um, poutine and, yeah. If we're going to talk about poutine, well, it's pretty dark <laughs> what we're going to talk about. So it was that simple yeah. and, and Googling around and seeing if I can find a dot com that uh, existed with it and it, nobody had it. So I picked it up. That's how the name was born. And then the Vulture magazine uh, called it the most efficient podcast name on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, the the name of your podcast, like if I say dark poutine and I asked someone to guess, I probably don't have to give them more than maybe two to figure out what it's about. Right. If I go and ask someone, uh, tell me what the C4 podcast is about. I can assure you they're never going to get hockey. And if they do, they'll think it's about blowing franchises up or some silly <laughs> stuff like that. Because in my bright mind, I thought that my original co-host Clay and myself being Chris, we're going to have a Canucks commentary and that the Chris and Clay's Canucks co- commentary became so difficult to you know roll off the tongue. We'll just call it C4 because it was this. It's very you know, Well, I mean, it makes it. sense when you explain it. But that's the thing. <laughs> you have to explain it every single time. <laughs> so anyhow, no, I mean, uh, so the, both of you had this desire to, to maybe get involved on sort of the, the podcasting side or true crime, had a fascination uh, uh, with it. Um, I want to say you've been around for what, two years now? Three, 
three. Okay. Three. Yeah. Yeah, because I I will be the first one to admit I did not tune in from the get go. I remember seeing I think about on Facebook. Many people did from the get go. It was just Scott and I the first night. (laughs) Well, I mean, my my first episode that I had it was Clay's family and I think my sister. Um, But I remember seeing either both of you or one of you sort of share on Facebook at the time, like, oh, hey, I've got this new podcast. I'm like, oh, I got to check it out. Because at that, that time I had been podcasting for a while and I'm, I'm fascinated with anyone that I know that podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, two reasons. One, I want to be supportive. And two, I want to rip off everything that they do well and do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Right? If only we did something well. <laughs> well, I, I, I did not listen. Like I, I, the problem is that I had such limited time for podcasts that to get into the rotation um, was difficult. And I will be honest, I, I lost track of it. Um, it wasn't until one of your away game episodes and to sort of give our listeners some understanding, um, every so often you have an episode that you call an away game that is not uh, completely true crime focused or Canadian true crime yep. focused. It's to, to lighten the, the load a little. Um, it was the one on, it was um, Swiss Air, um, the Swiss Air crash off of uh, the East Coast. Game, for that sure. was, yeah. yeah. And, was an away game? I don't know. It just it was that was the episode that I listened to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, the reason I think I thought this was an away game because it wasn't King of the Day. I don't it know. Was a crime. It was. It was a. Uh, it was a disaster. So a disaster. I, yeah. I get that. Okay. Anyway. But yeah, that was the first episode, and I okay. First and foremost, great episode for me to get hooked on because I have this like fascination with aviation. And I'm like, oh, these two guys that I know, you know, recorded this podcast, talked about it, and it was the first time I had heard. Uh, a podcaster bring in like uh you know the air traffic control clips and things like that which i thought was so fascinating like oh my goodness maybe i could do that too because i know i'm i'm instantly trying to you know you know squeeze you for all your podcast is worth (laughs) and i continued to listen oh thanks um yeah i tried to get as much real sort of information that i can for for each show i want to be able to uh I want to be able to give listeners something that maybe they haven't heard before, or they haven't heard it in the context that we're going to give it. So um, we're very lucky that we have a relationship with chorus right now. So uh, they give us access to their um, global news archives. So I can get global news interviews from uh, their archives, which are 60 years old. So uh, I wouldn't have had access to any of that had we not had this relationship. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty grateful for that. Yeah. And you know, the, um, actually connection that C4 has to dark poutine, um, is as you were joining curious cast, uh, which mm-hmm. is the, the chorus network, uh, CK and W studios where we were recording this show kindly asked us to stop. Oh no. <laughs> oh, Really? <laughs> why did we have you to stop? Well, uh, so long story short, um, uh, as those who listen to C4 know, uh, Matt used to work for, for NW, and that sort of gave us access to their studio, the ability to record. And mm. the relationship that we had with them was that we were providing them essentially sports commentary that they could go and th- slap a CKNW logo on without really costing them anything. The only right. cost was access to a studio, which was always empty. Uh, and so, you know, we were headed down to the, the black tower in downtown, we would record an episode, uh, we'd leave. And then when Matt had left NW, um, the program director at the time had said, no problem, just, you know, give so-and-so a call who's on, they'll let you in. And essentially we got signed in. 
Well, when Curious Cast came to be, that's when uh, Chorus sort of nationally started paying, I think, closer attention to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this local Vancouver dealio that, that was going on, and I'm sure there were other local things needed to sort of, yeah, I get it. They, they, they wanted to focus on a, a branded experience and be consistent in their approach. And so uh, I blame Dark Poutine for us getting kicked out of NW. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> so it's, it's totally the, that's why I'm, you know, actually personally, I hold Scott most responsible, which is why anytime I comment in your, your Facebook Scare. community, the Yumber Yard, where I'm like, I talk very, you know, highly of Mike and I'm like, oh, the other guy, Scott. It's, well, it's, fair. it's fair. Trust me. I know me. I've lived with me for hey. 46 years. I, 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 I get it. I, yeah. I, 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 I've read your podcast reviews too. Trust me. There's a lot of other people that feel the same way. It seems. I just right. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> it's it's really true. But, but you know what? I, 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 okay. Here's the thing. Here's I I was gonna do this podcast all on my own. I was gonna do this all by myself. And I was terrified. I was mm -hmm. terrified of talking into a mic all by myself, just sounding stupid and not having somebody to tell a story to. And Scott and I had had a great relationship at that family business that we worked at. And uh we had talked about doing something together at some point. So um, once he was officially away from that family business, his, mm -hmm. his any relationship with them had been gone. It was okay for me to finally ask him, hey, do you want to do this with me? And of course he said yes, because Scott's a super supportive guy. And people who don't understand his role um, the ones who give us those crappy reviews, um, you know, whatever, go crap in your hat. I say to them because that's Scott the more polite there. version of what you use on your show. Exactly. But Scott's there. He's there to support me, to support yeah. the show. And he does a fantastic job of it. And I wouldn't have anybody else do it. I just love you, buddy. And, and that is yeah, why thanks. it works. And in, in regards to like, I, I legitimately and honestly, I, I take nothing personal from the comments and reviews people can try. I don't spend a lot of time reading them more so just because mm -hmm. I'm happy with what I do. I'm happy with what, what Mike does. I'm happy with the show. We have millions of listeners. So it's okay if somebody doesn't like me. It's okay if somebody hates that I say, hmm. Absolutely. Uh -huh. But it's like, because on the flip side, I hear from people constantly talking about how, oh, I just love what's good. He, he's reacting like how I am reacting and how I, so I'll, the thing that 1% of people hate me for is the thing that 99% of people Exactly. Love me for and so yeah. so it's like I when I read the comments I or the reviews I honestly chuckle and because I'm like yep I do say that you got it right on yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah. you hate it it's like no I no worries review, so yeah. I just stopped well, it's it's pointless because yeah. I get caught up in it and uh, yeah well I in fairness saying you get like hundreds of reviews a weekly we get hundreds of reviews uh, a century so. Um, <laughs> It's easier to read all of them. Uh, I was going to say, like, when it comes to your podcast, though, the chemistry the two of you have is is what drew me in. Like, I, I'll be honest, true crime doesn't do it for me. In fact, some of the episodes that you record are so 
yeah. brutal. Like I, I am listening to it and I'm emotionally like, I need to turn this off. I, yeah. I can't listen to yeah. this. Like I, now that I'm a father, anytime it has to do with kids, yeah, those we, episodes are oh, the yeah. hardest ones. We have a hard time with kids. Both of us. Um, I'm not a dad, but I, I do have trouble talking about, uh, any time that a kid is involved in any kind of crime, even if it's just um, related to not the actual victim. I really mm-hmm. have time with it. And Scott will attest to the fact that I do a lot of sighing before I have to talk about a specific, uh, really horrific thing that may have to do uh, with children. I just happen to edit that out because yeah. our listeners don't need to hear about me mumbling about how terrible this thing is that I have to read that I just wrote. Yeah. The, it's, yeah it's very heavy stuff. It's it very is. heavy stuff most of the time. And it's, it's an odd balance of trying to be the levity in it because, um, you, you have to respect the families of the people you're talking about, it is so ingrained in us and so much in our brains. Like it's not that we have to think about it. We're already aware of it, but mm-hmm. having to uh, constantly be aware of the fact that what if one of the family members is listening? Mm-hmm. I couldn't live with myself if I made a joke that right. negatively impacted a family member. Like that's just, that's just terrible. So it's, it's, it's always a fine line of trying to figure out when can, when should I be funny? When should I not? When should I just be listening? When should I just be reacting? You know, when should I, uh, and what should I uh, make, you know, make a joke on? And so it's much, much easier now because of the amount of shows we've done, but for a long time, it was really challenging. Like mm-hmm. I find myself, there's a something I want to say and react, but then I'm just overthinking it. Like, Oh, okay. How would the family? And I just tend to just to not say something because it's, uh, it, it's just, I could not imagine what it is like to be in the shoes of a victim and their yeah. families. And yeah. to uh, think that something I say could, hurt them but yet i'm my part is to be the cheese i have to be light funny and so also trying to balance it with okay well what what can i say here Mm -hmm. that will be funny and not uh, come off as disrespectful thankfully the the listeners constantly give us the positive feedback of uh that were they consider us incredibly respectful and empathetic so that that makes us feel fantastic yeah, yeah and that was, we, I'm sorry. We, go ahead. We do get a lot of emails. I at least I do from uh, from family members of some victims who have listened to the show and mm-hmm. say thank you for doing it the, the way that yeah. we have. So, yeah. um, to me, that's the best kind of feedback if it comes directly from a family member to say, "Okay, yeah, we ha- we're a little light at the beginning. We take you into the darkness, and then we set you free at the end with our silly Patreon shoutouts and mm-hmm. all that." but uh like when we had the uh that west edmonton mall shooting where the ones the one surviving security guard like i remember he actually commented on on like on facebook commented and thanked us and stuff and that was just like holy shit to have somebody that directly involved in an episode like surviving victim thanking us and and, uh for the storytelling Mm-hmm. Like that's just it's pretty powerful. It makes it worthwhile. I mean, these these stories yeah. that we tell aren't necessarily 
uh, ones that are known nationally sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them are. A lot of people will remember them. However, there are a few people who may not have ever heard of so-and-so that were talking about at this point in time, this horrible crime that's more regional. So we want to, our whole idea is to bring Canada together by talking about crimes all across the country. So I know when I lived in Nova Scotia, I loved to hear my own hometown mentioned on the radio or on TV. You know, I think we all do. And and Chris, you had mentioned earlier about like the chemistry, how it's genuine and stuff. That's something that I remember when Mike and I were first sitting down to talk about, okay, I'll help you. Now let's, let's do this. And I remember talking it. I've always been a very strong believer in the power of chemistry. I remember saying, and I've I said it a bunch of times, um, uh, the show top gear, you know, every, anybody who's watched top gear, even if you don't like cars, you love the show because mm-hmm. of the relationship of those three hosts, the dynamic and how genuine it is. Um, that's what's infectious. And that's what has people love it. They've tried to remake it in different places. They tried to remake it in the U.S. I mean, it might still be going. And they made it in Australia. The exact same format, the exact same template. It's terrible because it's not those three hosts. It does everything that they're doing. Seems like it's a forced dynamic. It's a forced interaction. And People are very savvy of when something's contrived versus when something's genuine and real. And so we made sure that right from the inception that our relationship and our dynamic is genuine and is us. But to not try to fake who we are. Yeah, we can, we're really honest with each other, too, when it comes to you know how we feel about stuff and all that kind of thing. And, and I think that's super important if you're going to have... Uh, a relationship that you display in front of people continually yep. <laughs> yeah. in an, in any sort of format. I'm sure you have it with your other hosts that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you have to have an affinity for each other or at least uh, a reason to pick on them. Yeah. Well, and that's, <laughs> that's sort of what I was going to actually sort of segue to. Um, but yeah. first and foremost, like you're on the note of being respectful, your podcast is very respectful. Like I, the chemistry is what's kept me tuning in. I in, I actually enjoy what are Mike and Scott going to talk about next more than maybe the topics because again I'm not that sort of true crime uh, aficionado and that's what draws me in and then I find what you you share respectful I find it very informative um, often the episodes that I find resonate the most with me um, are, are I'm going to use the term historical it's more sort of like the, I can't remember what the episode was the recent one about the the mine uh, disaster. Um, you know, these are the, like the olden times episodes of the ones. Cause it, it's history like is my thing, right? Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine yeah. cause you, 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 you talk about these topics. So there's, there's a little bit of everything. And I, I wanted to also, you know, share for Canucks fans specifically, if you're like, okay, you know, you've been talking about this podcast quite a lot. And why would you bring two true crime podcasters? <laughs> <laughs> on onto a hockey podcast. Well, first and foremost, you know, I, I, I asked the two of you if you could, cause I wanted two people that could talk about an era that I remember. So thank you Two, you're the most famous Canadians I know. And I think it gives our podcast a little cred to, to get the, the like. So you're essentially the podcast Canadian equivalent to Ryan Reynolds. Right? Oh, God. <gasps> wow. But the Excellent. episode, we're dreamy, Mike, did you hear yeah, you are. we're dreamy? 
the episode you need to listen to is episode 76, the Vancouver Stanley Cup riots, 1994 and 2011. Oh yeah. Those so, so for both of us to do, um, you know, I, I remember we talked about it very early on that that was something that we were definitely going to cover mm-hmm. one time. But uh, because we're here in Vancouver, we wanted to be able to do it justice. So <laughs> we waited until we sort of got our legs underneath us before yeah. we wanted to do it. So, yeah, it was. Well, first and foremost, I can vouch that you you actually taught me things I did not know. And I was around for both of those two riots. I appreciated the history on riots in Vancouver that you shared because I learned yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Right. Like that. That's yeah. actually what can at first can be like, well, wait a minute, did I get the wrong episode? But you know, the, this is the problem when I jump into episodes sometimes, (laughs) but it was so well done, so well put together. And it had me thinking back to specifically the 2011, right? Like I was downtown Hmm. and I walked through Granville and Georgia while this was happening. Like I, um, I left the fam, you know, the family business. We went and met up with some friends. I was in Gastown watching the game, having a Wally pop or two, right? Like, like yeah. anyone Canucks, we're going to win it. Yeah. And, uh, and then they didn't. And so, you know, the friends I was with, we stayed a little bit longer, right? Cause we needed to, you know, deal with our emotions with more of the wobbly pop. And on our way back, um, one of my friends, he lived on um, sort of, you know, Vancouver East side. Another one lived in North Shore. I lived in Richmond. So where is the most logical place to go downtown to say, see you later? Granville in Georgia. So we walked up, mm-hmm. whatever it would have been. I guess it would have been uh, Seymour or what have you. And there's like people and there's like, th- like we, we saw smoke. We didn't know what it was about. Booms. We weren't obviously we were maybe naive to think that everything was okay. I remember going down the escalator to try to get on the candle line to Richmond. And it was before they had brought in, uh, the, the RT and, and, and riot squad, but like there was just a mass of people. You moved where the mass went and someone let off something in, uh, in the station, Vancouver center. And the crowd suddenly moved the opposite direction. I fell down, got trampled, which was not fun. And, I decided I needed to go somewhere safe. So where did I go? I went back down to uh, the tower where security yeah. refused to let me in until, um, I can't remember. I'm not, I, I'm not going to say her name, uh, simply because I, you know, trying to be respectful of the family business and them, but a supervisor who actually vouched for me and was working, let me come into the building. I stayed there for, for about 45 minutes or so until things settled down and I could get transit out. Like it was, it was crazy to be down there. Um, I was working that night. I was, I was on shift when that was all happening and had to, oh, wow. I remember I, leaving a bit early because it can, you know, I'm just like, I'm just, cause I live, I live in Surrey. It was just a great yeah. distance. And there was a lot of concerns about transit and <clears throat> there were a lot of concerns about that. And so I just said to the other soup on there and, you know, not right away, like it was an hour or two into the riot, but I'm like, if transit shut down and people can't get into the city, I'm stuck. So I'm going to take yeah. off. I can still catch the train. And so I did. And I, and I made it home. But I remember when I got home, I ended up feeling really guilty because I was like, well, shit. Okay. Like a lot of our agents are also in the same situation. And I'm mm-hmm. all like, you know, 
I, I screw you all. And so I emailed the, the or texted the soup who was working like, hey, if any, now that I'm at home and I have my car, send an email out to the floor that if anybody um, is having trouble getting to where they need to go, that I will, I will come and drive them there. So, yeah. Well, that's good to know, Scott, that uh, you'll give us a lift when we need a lift. Yeah. No, no, that was a one-time <laughs> offer. Yeah. Just uh, what? There's what's the phone up. number? All the listeners would like to know, just in case. Right? No, no, yeah. no. It's a, a little time machine back to 2011. Yeah. 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 But uh, no, I, in that particular episode, I, I, I encourage all of our listeners to if at least listen to that one, and you can determine whether or not uh, you know Dark Ministry. I'd, I'd also recommend listening to other episodes. Um, if there's one episode though that you you knocked out of the park, the creme de la creme, episode 105. So an away game, it was everything to do with that Christmas Eve incident at Nakatomi Plaza. Oh, God. Yeah. That was, that was actually one of the scariest stories to tell because mm-hmm. people were so involved uh, with that. And there was so much damage that happened at Nakatomi. And, uh, I mean, John McClain being there was, well, it, I, he, they were so lucky I that know. they had this guy there. You know, and so many, so many people forgot about the story. So many mm-hmm. people forgot about the event. You know, I, like it was, it was a while ago, and so yeah. there's a lot of a lot of younger people listening, and they were just blown away by by this tragedy at Nakatomi yeah. Plaza that they had no idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were just yeah. That so that was last year's Christmas episode, and we we did get a lot of feedback about that episode. <laughs> I, I know I saw that there were, there were quite a few of your listeners that had either not heard uh, of that incident or possibly mm-hmm. remembered it. It was, it was quite striking, but um, you know, I'm glad that, that, that you covered it. Um, you know, for one reason or another, I find that podcasts try to stay away because of, you know, how incredulous that in, in entire story is. I mean, oh if, if they haven't made a movie um, about it. Yeah. Uh, I hear it's in the works. Michael, yeah. Michael Bay, if you're listening to our podcast, um, that's got action movie written out. all over it. It does. It does. Yeah. I think maybe get the, get the Sylvester Stallone to star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, really? I'm thinking Jason Statham. Oh, that's Statham would be really good oh, in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I can pick this kind of bald in, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, older, yeah. but yet still, uh, uh, yeah, fit. Yeah, that's a great. Call. He'd have to Good. do an American accent though, so I don't know if he'd be able to pull that off. And, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, different, it's different times, Mike. You can. Yeah, you it, know. it's okay. It's, it's called acting, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, segueing uh, from from the the podcast, let's talk a little bit about more you know current times. So this past NHL season is obviously. Um, crazy for a variety of, of reasons. I mean, our entire year has, has been completely different for, for us, what? our generation. I don't, maybe not for, for the two of you, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think it was a few weeks ago, um, where on the episode you were talking about how you both had sort of found yourselves watching hockey again after gone, having gone through a period where you weren't as interested. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, that sounds like me. I think they're inside of my head because, when the Canucks went as far as they did in 2011, the entire 2012 season felt to me as just simply something that was in the way of what they were going to go and accomplish. And then the Vancouver Canucks proceeded to accomplish very little. And in subsequent seasons, it's just been going downhill. As our listeners will probably attest to, I am not the most positive po- person on this podcast. That said, to our earlier conversation about chemistry and being able to play a role, you may have 
as a longtime listener know, I tend to play a role from time to time. I can assure you I was not happy with the Vancouver Canucks. So this season, my optimism has actually been true because I started to get interested and then the pandemic occurred. Yeah. Yeah. And part of, you know, the struggle and I, as, as again, listeners will test, I wasn't maybe keen on hockey coming back, but it wasn't hockey. It was sports. I'm like, you know, let's, let's figure the pandemic out first. Let's not put someone into a position where they're put in harm's way. Um, oh. You know, let's, follow what science is telling us uh, sports as much as it's nice to have back. Um, let's, let's wait a while. I'm glad it came back. I enjoyed watching hockey. I enjoyed watching the Canucks play. Um, I set up my, my Budweiser red light again. I had to put new batteries into it. Um, I was shouting and I could tell like, um, that I was about two seconds ahead of one of my neighbors when the Canucks scored a goal based on when I cheered or he cheered. And then I noticed he stopped cheering. So I must've been ruined. <laughs> for him. Uh, but you know, tell me like you, the two of you had sort of said you were invested in hockey again. Like what about, what was it? Was it just sort of pandemic related? I'm watching hockey and this is nice to have, or was there more to that? I hadn't even really been watching for seasons now. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of it uh, had to do with just my headspace in, in life. I'm very passionate and uh, especially with sports, like I, uh, you know, the, the amount of remotes I've destroyed throughout my lifetime of watching hockey uh, is just it's countless. And like, so I get, I, I, I get really emotionally invested into sports. And mm-hmm. you know, when the Canucks lose, it would ruin my next day. Like, I, I there is a lot of times when my whole demeanor and my whole mood would be substantially impacted by a victory or a loss of the Canucks. And I think I just got to a point where I'm like, I just, I I don't think I can emotionally commit to uh, Canucks, to to hockey right now, because I would just watch it. And then when I do turn it on, I would just be like, eh, I'm not, there's nothing that is really making me feel excited about the fact that I'm watching it. Uh, And I got like, I've, you know, my sporting obsession is is primarily mixed martial arts and UFC. Like that's I, like it's kind of my new hockey. But I don't know exactly what had me um, tuning in after the COVID for the Canucks. I think there was a large part of it where I was really intrigued about what is going to happen to a sporting season uh, that was so interrupted for so long. I kind of, like, I just had this feeling, like, I have a feeling once they start this back up, it's almost a reset has happened. Mm -hmm. It's almost a new season. It's just starting off as the playoffs. And I really had that feeling, like, this is, I think there's could be some really interesting things happen. This could actually be fun and, uh, uh, just the whole dynamic of why they're playing and how they're playing. And, and so I just thought, you know what, let me, let me give this a shot. Let me give this a, and I just remember right from the first game, I remember just being like, okay, I, it, I felt the passion in the team. I felt the passion in the sport. Like I just kind of felt like, Oh, this is what I remember. This is what I love. And we were on a vacation in Whistler. And so I was just watching it on my laptop and I was just, yeah, I was, I was, um, 
I just, I, I, it, it brought me back to that excitement of, oh, there's something invested here. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a new player. For, for me, it's the new players, like uh, this new spate of players. Like the fact that uh, Alexander Edler is the old timer on the team, you know, yeah. <laughs> I remember when he, when he's the, when he started yeah. and, and now we've got guys like, you know, Pedersen, holy crap. I could watch that guy play all day, every day. Like he is a, he's a fantastic player and mm-hmm. there's, he's, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think as he, uh, as he gets a little size to him, um, you know, he's, he's still a pretty young guy. So who knows what's going to happen, but he starts sort of starting off the same way the Sedins did, uh, you know, and, uh, but I think we got ripped off cause I thought Swedes always came in pairs. I, I don't know how that worked, but, uh, We've got one. Where's Elias's brother? It's got to be somewhere. Well, so maybe the Vancouver Canucks have gotten smart. You don't bring both of the players out at the same time. You you start one, you bring another one along so that you always have at least one of them, as opposed Mm -hmm. to when both of them leave at the same time and suddenly you're you're (laughs) up a creek. Yeah, Yeah, you're at sea. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know... To the point that you raise about the the likes of an Elias Pettersson or or Quinn Hughes, oh, I, he's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a long time since the Canucks had a young core that mm. was sort of this good this early. Like even the Sedins, they were good, but they came into the West Coast Express era. They didn't right. get that opportunity to shine, and it took them a while to sort of find their place in the game. But once they did. I often joke, I could have skated with the Sedins and I would have probably got a few goals. All they needed to do is park me in front of the net and they just bounce things off of me. Like Marcus used to You know, like (laughs) how many people were just throwing in with them and then did great. Yeah. So I, I, that's what sparks interest for me. Like I often get made fun of because I'll say I prefer to watch an exciting loss than a boring win. Now, some of that is, you know, growing up in the 80s, where essentially if the game didn't end 9-8, it wasn't a good game. But it's about that emotional connection. Like, I like good tight games, but it needs to be exciting. If it's boring, I'm just like, there was a a playoff game in 2011, game one against the Nashville Predators. I was in, in the rink for that game. And I spent more time talking to who I was with than I did watching a Canucks playoff game because the energy wasn't there. The investment wasn't there. The energy out of it, like clogging up the neutral zone. And that's, you can't get in to do anything that can't get anything Mm -hmm. going. What a horrible game. Yeah. And that's for me, that's what I, I, I disliked. And so now seeing the much more exciting, you know, play style, these younger players, like I'm, I have optimism true. I'm maybe not as optimistic about the uh, management side of the, uh, the business, but uh, there's a reason why I'm not a GM in the NHL. Oh man. Well, I mean, it is, as I sort of alluded to at the start of the episode, uh, um, a little bit of a time uh, continuity issue for us. We're, we're currently recording, just after the NHL draft, before NHL free agency. So there could be some crazy stuff. Like if for some reason the crazy happens and Pedersen and Quinn Hughes are no longer Vancouver Canucks, many apologies. <laughs> I can't I can't see that happening. But oh boy. 
there's a lot of things that I haven't seen happening that happened. Wayne Gretzky got traded, so. Exactly. It's, you know, the odd thing, though, is that when you look at the Canuck teams, when you look at 2000, or sorry, 1994 and 2011, they're not, they weren't really young teams. We haven't had a lot of our success based around young teams. They were Mm -hmm. fairly uh, well-seasoned players for the most part with some young players interspersed in there. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a long time since we've really seen a rebuild like the one that we're seeing. Well, yeah, I mean, the Vancouver Canucks in the 80s really never got built. the team that was put together sort of in the early nineties was more a, a combination of good young players, but they difficulty the Canucks had is utilizing them. Uh, when Pat Quinn came in and started to sort of put together the team that we saw in 94, again, they, they overachieved, but they were a bunch of pieces that figured out how to play the game. That might've been the youngest successful roster that I can recall. But even then, success is measured by how they did in the playoffs, not how they did during the regular season. And in turn, they had some strong veteran, uh, you know, presence uh, in the likes of, you know, uh, Babbage and Diddick. And uh, I think yeah, Mameso. I've got a good mustache, but I'm never going to have one as good as Dave Babbage. Oh, Dave's. So actually Dave Babbage or Harold Snaps, who wore the stash better? Oh, they, yeah. Well, that's a pretty good stash. I mean, and if we go outside of uh, Vancouver, throwing a little Lanny McDonald there, and oh my gosh, oh, he's the mustache god, hockey though. <laughs> yeah. Neil Sheehy. Oh, you know, we're 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 currently getting into a place that our listeners are probably like, who are these guys that they're talking about? So. Well, here's a boy. I saw these where's young men. Come, where's my pudding? <laughs> oh man. Well, you know. Thank you for allowing me to walk down memory lane. I mean, the two of you joining it um, has made that possible. Uh, we've gone a lot longer than I had actually expected. I know, I think I told you guys I'd take maybe, you know, 30, 45 minutes of your time. And if I'm doing the math correctly, we're probably pushing an hour here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. So as you can see, that's yep. pretty, uh, that's on point um, with this podcast. We say it's going to be 30 and like uh, two hours later, we're done. <sighs> so, you know, next time you come back. That's why Mike has editing capabilities and uh, of our show so that he can (laughs) truncate me as much as necessary. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd be talking about Scott's childhood and people would forget. (laughs) Seven hour long episodes. But I know a whole lot more like New West and and other such areas, right? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) <laughs> no, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's good fun to, to obviously get people on, but, uh, I mean, the two of you have been great. Um, you know, I, I, I have enjoyed this, this episode. I enjoy a lot of our episodes, but I, I always enjoy memory lane. Reminiscing is always good. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, I didn't even bring up the fact that I used to have a Peter Zezel hockey stick. Oh boy. So <laughs> that I got from Peter Zezel in a Canucks dressing room post game. Best Canucks Jersey. Before we go, best jersey. Oh, it's um, for me. It's the the skate. It's the white skate. Scott. Oh, it's the ugly sweater, the ugly jersey that I have. It's that uh, the, the flying V, the ugly orange, mm. and oh god, it's so disgusting that it's amazing. Is it? Do you? I gotta, go, I gotta go back to the original. I like the rink and the stick. Like okay, are you talking like OG rink and stick or sort of the new modern rink and stick? 
kind of like the modern rink and stick yeah. to tell you. Yeah. And that's if, if you, if I had to choose, I'd pick modern. I, I feel that they, they freshened it up in all the right places. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could say the same about me. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you there's some things you just can't fix, Scott. This is this is true. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, if you are looking for for the two of you, um, where might uh, our listeners find you first and foremost? Well, any podcatcher, you know, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, just Google Dark Poutine or go to darkpoutine.com. And uh, you will find us. I have, uh, if you click on episodes at the top of the Dark Poutine page, you can just scroll through all the episodes and pick one that you like. And if you want to listen to that Stanley Cup episode, it's 76. Mm -hmm. The other thing I might mention, and that's because, you know, we have a a Discord community for our podcast. Um, Do you still have your Discord community? Is that still a thing? (laughs) I don't think I've logged in there. (laughs) Yeah, Maybe. I have no idea. Uh, I just, I've been writing a book, so I had no, I had no time yeah. to do that kind of stuff. And now I've taken the last two weeks off, so I'll be getting back into that kind of thing pretty soon. Okay. Well, the, the reason I ask is I was actually going to direct our, our listeners, if they're interested in seeing more about the community, is that supporters of your show get access to the Umber Yard, uh, which mm-hmm. has its own backstory that you have to learn by listening to the podcast or jumping into it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. And then since then, there are many other communities. Like I'm a member of, I think it's the Games Room. Yep. Um, that's one that I'm a member of. It's about gaming where um, right now the conversation generally is about animal crossing horizons all the time because I'm obsessed with it currently. <laughs> um, there's um, I'm trying to think what's the other. So uh, there's a yum yum bus. Oh, the food one. Yeah. Food. And then there's the uh, animal barn and uh, the barnyard. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then the craft barn. Craft bar. Yeah. yeah, that was the one I was I'm trying to think of. Chris isn't all over the, I'm surprised Chris isn't all over the craft bar. Yeah, he, he looks like a big knitter. Oh, yeah, you and should see me. Cro- hey, I just signed up uh, for a TikTok account. So you're, that's what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be knitting on TikTok. Whoa, this is powerful <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I, I, just I, gonna... I, I predict tens of tens of followers. Tens and tens. Well, that's, that, that is very <laughs> optimistic. <It's> at least <laughs> Uh, you know what? But if I really want to go viral, I'm going to go and find a Fleetwood Mac track and I'm going to, you know, lip sync while knitting on TikTok. And like, yeah, <laughs> that's where it's, uh, uh, yeah. it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> See all these ideas. I got to get you on more often. Um, we'll have to get you back on again for future episodes so we can reminisce a little more. Sure. Like Canucks history is long enough. And uh, oh obviously God. I need an excuse to talk about it. You well, two would be my enablers. It will be after a cup win. So when uh, this becomes like, you know, the granddad C4 podcast that my kid takes over and she'll have us back. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. or, hey, I don't think I'm hopefully sooner than that. Dead. Scott will still be talking about pudding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and man. Yeah, no sinister. But as uh, as uh, as Mike said, if you're looking for the podcast Dark Poutine, I got the place to go. Audio podcatcher. Um, do yourself a favor when you tune in, grab yourself a double double and an Nanaimo bar because it's going to be time to scarf down some dark poutine. Yum, yum, yum. Exactly. See, I'm going to do it this time. I How do you feel about that? that? I hated it. <laughs> I if I had had a drop to drop some loons or the. Uh, 
uh, All right. the essentially first, you know, bar of Canada from the, whatever horn it is down at Canada place. Heritage horn. Heritage horn. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was thinking how deep do I go and actually, you know, expropriate your podcast material for my own benefit. I, figure I'd take I, it was, I was going to say, when you said heritage horns, I was going to say, that's what I call my penis. <laughs> well, that episode is pretty much done. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Uh, I'm sure there's other Connect podcasts. That, that, you know, way. that was Scott Hemingway that said that. <laughs> Uh, but if you're looking for more of C4, you know where to find us. Uh, C4podcast.com is the easiest way to go. You can find us in every podcatcher, as probably you can find Dark Poutine. The difference is you have to search hard for us, not so hard for them. <laughs> but uh, on behalf of the Missing in Action, but I'm sure tuning in after the fact, Mattly at Mattly underscore 61, Anna Forsyth at 84603, Adam Ovenel Carter at Adam Ovenel and myself, Chris at Life Force. Guess what, y'all? We out. <laughs>